Why, hello there. My name is Kenji Dick. And I'm Claudia Duick. And welcome to Wittenberg Radio. It is episode 102, and it is September 19th, 2017. How are you doing, Claudia? Kenji, uh, if you were to send an animal down a zip line, which one would you choose? Uh, that's a great question, uh, Claudia. Um, considering my current uh, state of mind right now, um, I think I'd send down a stressed dog uh, to be reflective of my <laughs> own dog. feelings. Um, right now, it is the new school year. Uh, we're kind of in the full swing of the of the season, and uh, I don't want to like underestimate just like how excited I am for the new school year. But getting all these syllabuses and seeing all these assignments makes me kind of a little bit nervous. Every time I come home, I see my dog. Um, she's an adorable little dog, but she has the eyes of a crack addict to an extent. Um, <laughs> and the imagery. Yes, the unbe- unbelievable imagery. And um, it's funny because like, she always looks stressed. That's what I meant by, meant by that. She is like an incredibly stressful looking dog. So like, I think to an extent, I feel like my dog, Bella, right? I feel like I'm a little bit stressed. I'm not really sure how to feel. And so if I had to send down an animal on a zip line, it probably would be a dog that looks a little bit stressed, um, just to reflect how, my, how I'm feeling at the moment. But I think this is the thing about it. I don't want to make this too much of a dreary image, of course. Um, I think of it more as like a, of a situation where the dog is stressed, but the dog also knows that uh, he or she is also safe because they're on a zip line. They're not going to fall to their deaths, right? They're ultimately going to live through this. I and was so, wondering if I had to alert the Humane Society. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- you don't, I don't think you would have to. Uh-huh. So, like, overall, I feel like, I, f- I feel like I'd send down a dog that way to be reflective of my own a spirit. Dog. It is like stressful and a bit like, you know, unsure, but I think overall we- I'm in like in good hands and that's what I'm taking comfort in. Do you think the dog's stress level would be significantly elevated by going down a zip line? Do you, you think know, it might reach some, some detrimental heights? It would, I wouldn't be surprised if the dog would be a little more like stressed maybe by the end of the ride. But you know, I like to think that the dog will ultimately live, you know, overcome these these traumas and if not i'll probably just give he or she a a doggy bone and then like it'll be all good all right see the funny thing about my dog too is that like she'll go through ridiculous ways just to get food um every time i come back home she'll always expect a doggy bone and so i like to think that she'll like do stupid things just for the sake of getting food in the end of it so you know what i think she'd do she would definitely go on a zip line and go through dangerous heights just to get a doggy bone by the end of it so. Fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for going along with that little uh, spat of, of fun. I love I love spats of knowledge and randomness every once in a while. It's something that I think we all need in our lives right now. But oh. on the complete opposite spectrum of randomness, it's time to talk about upcoming events. The next event that's coming up uh, is Fall at CMU on September 22nd and 23rd. That's this upcoming weekend. Uh, it's quite a hoot. It should be very fun. There's always a market and a cycle cross race um, and MPK Folk Fest, uh, one of the greatest attractions of the fall at CMU. Uh, there are musical guests and, uh, yeah, a chance to sit out in the back 40, hopefully with the last bits of some nice weather. weather and, uh, yeah, just enjoy some good music and some good company. Yeah. So I hope to see you there. Yeah, it's like also wonderful for like a few other little things too like the main thing you listen to obviously is the amazing music but there's also a great art board in the back oh, nice. which you also get to paint on which is like pretty fun um and you also have like plenty of awesome snacks to eat and you know so it's a wonderful chill time please do come to the mpk folk fest this upcoming saturday so the next event that you should know about is something that excites me quite a bit. Um, as you may or may not know, I'm a huge cinephile, so I'm always really, really happy whenever we have big movie events here on campus. And this year, actually, we are. Uh, 
As you may or may not know, Sue Sorensen, one of the head profs of the English department, is having a film class this year, a narrative film. And there's a lot of films that she wants to show, but there were a lot of films that Sally did not make the cut and is on the syllabus. And instead of being bitter about it and not showing the films whatsoever, she's decided to host a film series. That's right, there is a classic film series at Marpec Commons every Thursday night on 8.30pm throughout the fall semester. Um, this is going to be co-hosted by me and Sue, and we're looking to forward to having people there to watch these awesome classic films of the past, uh, many of which have laid the foundations for the cinema that we love today. So, uh, the first film that's going to be coming up is on September 21st. It is Stagecoach by director John Ford and was a Western film made in 1939. Uh, so, why should you watch this film? Well, it's one of the first few noticeable Westerns out of the uh, out of that age of Hollywood, and it's it stars John Wayne, uh, a very famous actor um, in American cinema, especially in Western, uh, especially in uh, the Western genre of American cinema uh, throughout the 20th century, and this was his breakthrough role. Uh, the film follows a group of strangers riding on a stagecoach uh, through the dangerous uh, Apache uh, territory, and it is a fun and exhilarating ride to behold. Uh, so please do come to watch Stagecoach on September 21st. Uh, it is going to be, at, again, Marpec Commons, Thursday at 8.30 p.m. Hope to see you there. Today we have the privilege of speaking with Laura and Colin, Laura Carpreece and Colin Reimer. They were part of the Pilgrimage for Indigenous Rights, uh, led by some people from connected to CMU. They're going to tell us all about that uh, that happened this May. Uh, and so they are passionate about the United Nations uh, Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And we are really excited to talk to them about what that all means and how we can be a part of it here as well. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have you here. So just to get started, uh, could you give us, uh, maybe Laura, why don't you take this one? Uh, what is the bill uh, of, like, what is UNDRIP? What is Bill C-262, as we hear it referred to sometimes? Okay, so UNDRIP stands for the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And what that is, it's, is it is a declaration that was written 10 years ago, we actually are just getting to the 10 year anniversary of UNDRIP right now. Um, and it lays out the basic fundamental indigenous human rights. And that means right to land, right to language, right to education, right to set their own goals and priorities for development. Things like that that are considered very fundamental to who we are as people and that really don't go beyond our basic human rights, as I mentioned. Um, they address, they don't, yeah, I think I've said that already. So then Bill C-262 is the adoption and implementation of UNDRIP. So what that means is that it takes those articles, the 46 articles that are all laid out in UNDRIP, and turns them into Canadian law. So it legislates the ideas of UNDRIP. So that's why the adoption and implementation and Bill C-262 is unique in that it creates mechanisms for um, the continuation of the implementation. So it's not this government will accept Bill C-262 and if the government changes in a few years, it kind of falls away. Mm -hmm. um, Bill C-262 would mean that it would have to then continue for the next 20 years with other um, mechanisms to check in um, and make sure that Canadian law is complying to the standards of UNDRIP. Okay, and uh, I've 
um, yeah, something that I felt uh, maybe a little confused about is that it was listed as a, as a campaign promise by Justin Trudeau to adapt, um, to adopt UNDRIP. Um, and do you, would you consider that promise broken or, or do you feel that it is being worked on? Well, I don't think it's broken yet until he votes no, which I hope he doesn't do. Um, The Liberal government has stated that they, um, I believe it's something in the realm of, affirm the spirit of UNDRIP. Um, Initially when UNDRIP was created, um, the Canadian government, Canada, along with the US, New Zealand, and Australia, all had objector status to this declaration. So I believe in 2010, Canada removed its objector status. So now they don't object to UNDRIP, but they also are not openly supporting the adoption of Bill C-262, which has those mechanisms and turns the ideals, which they say they support, into Canadian law. So we've been talking about walk the talk, saying you've made these promises, you say you affirm the intent, so actually do it. Follow through with your promise all the way. Okay, so I guess that leads right into my next question, maybe for Colin this time. Uh, what was the pilgrimage uh, for Indigenous rights? Like, what was it about, um, I guess, about this bill? But, but maybe expand on that. What, why were you walking all these kilometers? Uh, so the pilgrimage for Indigenous rights was a walk of 600 kilometers from Kitchener to Ottawa to engage churches and faith groups in dialogue into what UNDRIP is, what the bill is, and where we are standing currently as a country in terms of the tipping point for reconciliation. This bill really holds a lot of that potential. Um, And in order for that to happen, we need to engage uh, these faith groups. And the pilgrimage as uh, engaging in those faith groups was a response to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action, uh, specifically Call 48. Um, which calls on churches and faith groups to engage in dialogue with uh, with our Indigenous brothers and sisters. Uh, and so we spent uh, 22 days uh, uh, walking and then in the evenings doing teach-ins and having conversation around the bill and around the declaration and around what we have hopes for as not just church or individuals, but as a nation. Um, as we know, this is Canada 150, and so there's a lot of stuff going on around that. Um, but what we need to, to look for isn't the past 150 years, it's our next 150 years. And how can we start that off this year in a way that honors all people's host and settled? Mm-hmm. Wow, fascinating. Um, what was the response to the pilgrimage? Especially, I'm interested in uh, it being a faith-based uh, endeavor. What what did people think about that? And how were they maybe as, uh, or the churches that you went to, were they very receptive of what you were talking about? Um, the churches themselves were extremely supportive. I was, I actually felt personally more surprised than ever. Um, it kind of felt out of place at times because of how much hospitality there was. Wow. Uh, we had so much food, <laughs> maybe an overabundance sometimes, um, but sleep, even just sleeping in the churches and engaging in the conversation, sometimes it was unexpected conversation, sometimes it was anticipated conversation, but all of it was really, um, uh, I guess, really growing for us. We, we learned a lot and 
and I think it was mutually uh, um, whatever the word is uh, mutually beneficial I guess mm-hmm. um, in terms of what we were aiming for and what we were hoping for uh, in addition we also had an, we also invited the churches and faith groups who we met with and communities this was also just an outreach to all the communities uh, that if the following day they wanted to join us for some of the walk or for the next day or so, uh, they were welcome to do that. And we had a number of people uh, in each community mm-hmm. um, or in uh, many of those communities that joined us the following day, which was amazing to see. Wow. Would you like to? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think, like we've had a, as Colin said, the host churches um, had a lot of varied responses to us, usually pretty positive. Um, but I think there's also the question of kind of which faith groups hosted us. Mm-hmm. Um, we were primarily hosted by Anglican and United Churches. Um, okay. But I think a lot of that is that they have entered into this conversation um, from like an institutional church point um, quite substantially over the past few years um, due to those church, those denominations history with residential schools. Um, and then from that, having prominent church leaders who are indigenous um, and have led the church kind of into necessary conversations around reconciliation. And we're eager then to engage um, what else is happening. Um, I think, though, too, kind of the work prior to the pilgrimage has kind of revolved a lot around church groups as this was led a joint, as a joint effort by Mennonite Church Canada um, and through Christian peacemaker teams. So both primarily church groups. Mm-hmm. And now as we are working on follow-up actions, um, there's a lot of church mobilization as well happening. Mm-hmm. And what about outside response to it being faith-based or, or response from, from the Indigenous community itself? One of the moments mm-hmm. that really stands out for me is on one of the last days once we arrived in Ottawa, um, we had Sylvia McAdam come and join us. And Sylvia is one of the co-founders of the Idle No More movement. Um, and she came and walked with us for a few hours and then spoke at our rally in Ottawa the next day. Um, and she she spoke about how she really doesn't like the church. Mm-hmm. And she really does, doesn't really feel the need to like the church. Fair enough so, the church has done so much damage to indigenous peoples and indigenous communities and indigenous ways of living that I think that is a very valid point. Um, But she said, walking with you, um, I experienced a new spirit and a spirit of healing um, to do with a relationship of the church. Mm -hmm. And to hear that coming from someone so integral to indigenous resistance movements um, really means a lot. Hmm. Um, Yeah, and to hear that what we were doing was a way of being church that is different than how people typically perceive church. So often people were surprised to hear that we were a faith-based group, sometimes surprised to hear that we were a Mennonite group, or to see that a church group was advocating for indigenous rights, not something else. Hmm. What? So, so you made it to Ottawa. That was the end goal. Uh, you went to Parliament Hill. Now, I don't know, talk about that. How was that experience? Did you, did you gain any uh, real attention, or real, I mean... It had been real up until then, but but uh, I mean, it was ultimately a goal to get some political attention, um, and and did that happen? 
Um, so initially our plan was uh, Parliament Hill for our for our action. Unfortunately, that day happened to be first rained out. There was a lot of flood season going on, and second, it was triple booked. So we oh. we just ran into a lot of uh, a lot of blocks with that. Um, but we were able to get um, get the Human Rights Monument, which has a number of demonstrations done on it all the time. And so we were able to be there, which I think was also very fitting, a mm. very fitting spot for it. Um, in terms of political um, awareness, I guess, um, we definitely did. Um, we had Nikki Ashton, an MP for, for the NDP uh, government, uh, or that uh, section, uh, come out and she also spoke at our at our um, at our action there um, we received a number of different uh, uh, supports uh, verbally or like just messages uh, emails and such from mm-hmm. from other parliament members um, we uh, part of the way through got um, confirmation from the Green Party that they would also back us and so at the end of the pilgrimage, actually following uh, that weekend, that closing weekend, um, Laura and a number of other members uh, went and met in person with um, Elizabeth May and um, had these had conversations around the problem uh, around this bill. Wow. Which she can tell. Yeah, you Laura, more about. tell us all about that. I had no clue. <laughs> wow. It was very exciting to see Elizabeth May in person. Um, it was actually a really interesting way to finish off the pilgrimage to kind of like actually walk into the parliament buildings and be like yeah we have a meeting with elizabeth may and then we were like led through the old library into this like secret back meeting room um yeah it felt very cool um but we met with elizabeth may and kind of um got her confirmed support for the bill she was like really you have to ask if i want if i'm supporting this of course i support this um and then she gave us um, suggestions of names of people who we should be contacting, um, what MPs, what ministers, and why she thinks there's roadblocks to the bill. Hmm. So that was um, really great to have support from someone um, other than the, the NDP party. Um, Romeo Saganash is the MP for the the largest riding in Quebec. Hmm. I am forgetting which riding exactly right now. Um, but he was the one who authored the bill and has been um, he walked with us at multiple points, so it was really great to hear from an MP of another party as well. And we saw Justin Trudeau on the steps outside of the Parliament buildings. Sadly, we only saw him after he had passed us, but okay. we saw him in the flesh. <laughs> Do you think he uh, saw you? I don't think so. No. All right. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Sorry, we are running out of time, uh, but if you want to just uh, say some closing, something, maybe a message to people who are not involved, uh, what they can do, because this is definitely something that we are very passionate about as a whole and want people to know about. So the second reading of Bill C-262 now has a tentative date as of yesterday. So the tentative date is October 18th, I believe. Yes. Um, and there will be a ton of events leading up that we would love people to be a part of. Um, if you want to just do something from your the comfort of your house, you can watch the Pilgrimage for Indigenous Rights documentary that was made by Rebel Sky Media, Brad Leach, an alumni of CMU. You can sign the petition, which is online. You can show up to the Walk the Talk mini pilgrimage and event on September the 23rd. You can show up to other 
rallies at MPs offices, which will be happening in the weeks leading up to the reading of the bill. And you can read the bill yourself. It is a very readable bill, and I'd encourage you to try and understand it and ask questions to people because it is an important piece of legislation. Wow. Well, thank you very much. You're obviously very knowledgeable. Um, Laura and Colin are around. Maybe track them down and talk to them, uh, as well as others. Uh, there are many people at CMU that are knowledgeable when it comes to this topic. And please educate yourself uh, and get involved because this is something that is that is important. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Yeah, no problem. Wow, what a fascinating conversation. I'm, I'm really, I feel quite privileged to be a part of that here on the show. And I'm yeah. so glad that they came and, and shared so openly and uh, vulnerably about, about their experience. Yes. No, I think I really appreciate it about that. I've been following it somewhat loosely because I ha- I'm friends with Colin on Facebook. Um, he shared, he didn't mention in the interview, but he shared, uh, he shared a ridiculous amount of memes and videos about the pilgrimage. Yes. And so clearly the one thing I took away from it was that he he cared about this immensely mm-hmm. um so it was actually just great to have him in here on the studio uh, just to talk about that and to elaborate on those memes and videos uh and yeah i'm just like i'm kind of like i mean like i, I guess from what my reaction from it all is that like i'm very like i mean like i think it's something that we all know about that some people go to like great lengths to like to to do these things and also like sacrifice a lot to do these things but just to like hear about it even from the people who are actually doing it is like quite a different experience mm-hmm. um and like yeah i was like i was like very uh surprised also very privileged to listen to that interview um mm-hmm. there's just like a lot of things that were touched upon that i hadn't previously considered um but now are really good to know and i think it's great to know precisely why what they're doing and why they're doing it and how much they had like, like how much they did to do it too and so, yeah, yeah, really and it's thankful. it's good to put a voice to the movement as well, especially if you see, um, yeah, I've I've been watching as well, like you, loosely what's been going on. But it's it's one thing to see that on social media, and another to hear personal accounts and and the personal passion and emotion that goes into it. And I think that's something valuable that we can all benefit from to understand, yeah, what what's going on and and why it's maybe important and why people are so passionate about it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right, it's now time to announce the winner of last week's Wittenberg Door Contest. As you may or may not know, uh, me and Claudia had a contest last week on the Wittenberg Door where we ask you, the CMU student body, a question, you submit an entry, and you are uh, cast in to potentially win a $10 folio gift card. Our question was, what do you think about the legalization of marijuana in Canada, and how do you think it will impact the CMU student body? So, our winner is... Marnie Clausen. Her response went, rather than a yes or no to the legalization of marijuana in Canada, I propose we take another look as a country at the scientific research necessary to propose proper regulatory legislation. Similar to conversation, debate, surrounding abortion, regulation, and proper education are key to a successful process of legalization if the purpose of legalization is to promote safety and to discourage illegal and dangerous activity. Wow, fascinating. Thank you, Marnie Clausen. Yeah, thank uh, you. Stay tuned. We will have some conversations surrounding this on Wittenberg, hopefully bringing in some people that are knowledgeable on the topic. Uh, but I tend to uh, agree with the process of of uh understanding 
how we regulate this uh, before we kind of just jump in. It seems to be a little bit distorted at this point, what it'll look like. So it's a very, uh, very intelligent a answer, Marnie. Uh, yeah. Thank you again to everyone who submitted to the contest. And keep your eye out again for another Wittenberg Door contest around the corner. And now we're going to talk about athletics. We're now within the second weekend of the soccer season. And boy, were there some games. There were some games. On Saturday, uh, CMU played against ACC. The women's uh, soccer team won 7-0 against ACC. And the men's soccer uh, team also dominated with a 4-0 score. On Sunday, uh, CMU went out to Audubon to play uh, the rivals uh, Providence, the, also known as the other Bible College here on campus. Uh, women's soccer won 2-0, which was great. Uh, but men's soccer sadly lost 4-1. Something really cool that we're doing this year is we're having a reporter on the field go to the games and talk to players right after the game so that you at home or maybe removed from CMU sports life can hear from the players themselves uh, about how their games were and and how they feel going into the rest of the season. Uh, Emily Ann is our sports reporter. She will be at the games at some of them and uh, tracking down some of our players to, to talk to them after the games. So that's something that we've added this year and we think we'll hopefully uh, make you feel like you're closer to the CMU athletic life. And now we're joined by Emily Ann Dirksen interviewing Kirsten Friesen after the win against Providence on Sunday. All right, I'm Emily Ann Dirksen. I'm here in Audenburg. Um, Audenburg? Otterburn. Otterburn. Okay. Hi, I'm Emily Ann Dirksen. I'm here in Otterburn with the CMU Blazers after they just won their game against Prov 2-0. Um, I'm here with Kirsten Friesen. <laughs> uh, Kirsten, tell me a bit about yourself. Uh, I'm Kirsten Friesen. I'm number three. I played fullback today and I'm in my third year at CMU. All right. And how do you feel you played today? Uh, I think I did pretty good. I uh, held my position and yeah. Um, how's the team looking so far? Our team's really solid. We got a couple new good, really, really good players, and we have a solid lineup. Yep, that was good. Um, how many rookies are there this year? Uh, four or five, I believe. Four or five. <laughs> looking pretty good. Yep. Yep. All right. That's good. Um. What are you looking to improve on for the future? Uh, we need to practice how to stay calm and shift as a team so that we don't leave players open on the sides. Okay, perfect. And um, this weekend I hear you're off to Thunder Bay, is that yeah. true? Yes, it is. Okay, and who are you playing there? Uh, there are two U18 teams that we play for recruitment and just as practice. Cool. All right, well, all the best. <laughs> Thank you. And now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. It's music pick of the week. And this time I'll be reining in my favorite pick and giving it towards you. Uh, 
Last summer, we had uh, a wonderful film come out, come out, probably my favorite film of the year so far, uh, Baby Driver by Edgar Wright. It is a wonderful film full of like rhythmic editing, uh, beautiful cinematography, uh, and just like a great rhythm to it. There's just such wonderful, blistering energy through this movie uh, that just makes it an absolute joy to watch from beginning to end. And one of the reasons why that is is because of its amazing soundtrack. Edgar Wright has a great taste in music, and you can immediately tell that with his opening track called Bell Bottoms by the John Spencer Blues Explosion. Uh, this is the opening track of the movie, and it's just a fantastic opening scene, but the music holds up just as well. It's a little long, and I apologize about that, but I find this piece so beautifully full of energy that I just want to share it with you as well. I also feel it's a little bit appropriate around this time. As we mentioned earlier, the school year is now ringing in full force, and it can be a little bit intimidating and terrifying, like my uh, dog, who looks really stressed all the time. But... I think with this music, it's always good to listen to this, knowing that like now that we're going full speed ahead into the school year, it's good to go in confident and confident and full of energy. So here is Bell Bottoms by the John Spencer Blues Explosion. <laughs> Much, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, gentlemen right, right now, now I got to, to tell, tell you about, about the, the fabulous, fabulous most groovy bell bottoms. Bell bottoms.
Well, thank you again for listening to Wittenberg Radio, episode 102. Our show is now coming to a close. Thank you again to all those who submitted towards our contest on the Wittenberg door. Your entries were especially appreciated here on the show. Uh, next week, we'll be back with episode 103. Is there anything you'd like to say, Claudia? Have a great week, everyone. Enjoy the weather. Have some nice, fun times outside yet before it gets cold and gloomy. Yes, perfectly said. See you next time. Bye-bye. Wittenberg Radio is a production of CMU Student Council. The views and opinions expressed by hosts and guests are not necessarily those of CMU Student Council.